you very, very much. Uh, I wanted to give everyone a, a quick overview of what God helped us to accomplish in Pakistan. Many of you gave very strong. I know you were praying uh, for us. No, Pastor was not able to go, as I mentioned last week, uh, because of some, some issues he's been facing. But uh, we went with, I went with two sons of the faith, and God did amazing things. I, what I wasn't able to do was to, uh, was to show uh, or explain a little bit more about the city we went to. And I'm going to say it now that I'm back home safe. Uh, but we went to a city called Kanawal, Pakistan. And this city, eight years ago, was burnt to the ground by Muslim extremists. And we were trying to get there for several, well, for like the last 12 months. And finally, the door opened up. I had to hire several thousand security forces to be around that grounds. Uh, but we bust literally hundreds upon hundreds of buses there. Some people were actually told us right to our faces that we cannot go in the crusade grounds because we're scared we'll be killed. But, but many came out. And, uh, and so we went there, we preached hope, we saw so many great miracles take place. We saw, we saw 51,723 people come to Christ in a city that was given no hope and that the devil tried to use for his kingdom, but we tore those kingdoms down and we saw God do amazing things. We saw tumors come off people's bodies, cripples, that people who could not walk, walk for the first time. Uh, the salvation altar call was amazing. And I just want to say, only believe, as always, thank you for what you're doing. Again, we could not do this without you. And uh, we're, we're privileged to say there's over 700,000 people going to heaven this year alone because of what you've helped us to accomplish. Amen. That's not a small feat in any, any stretch. But we love the opportunity. This, this is one of those, those things that I shared last week that I think is probably the greatest opportunity of my lifetime to be able to get to Pakistan and minister the gospel at the scale we're doing it at. We're not going to house churches touching 10 people at a time or 12 people here and there. We are putting 50, 60, 70, 80, 100,000 people uh, in, front of a, in front of Pastor Dosik, and we're seeing the nest get pulled in a big fashion. So, church, I just want to say it's a great time to rejoice. God's doing great things on the earth. You're a big part of what you're doing. We couldn't do this without you. And if, as I said before in Philippians 4, 17, that you know, the Apostle Paul was thankful not just for the Philippi church helping him with giving. He was more thankful that every person that came to Christ because they're giving was going to be added to their account. So someday, I say this all the time, church, millions of people are going to tap you on the shoulder when you get to heaven, and they're going to say, thank you. And you're going to say, what I do? You're going to say, you helped Peter Dose go and do a crusade in Brazil and Pakistan and, and, and all these various countries of the world. So church, thank you for what you've done. We couldn't do without you. And I uh, also wanted to share briefly with uh, something else. When I was in Pakistan, pastor shared with me, he said, Eric, I really want to help. We're, we're, we've partnered with lots of different ministries. And one of the ministries that we've been working with that actually did the crusade in Kanawha was Matt Nichols. Uh, Matt's about six foot seven, about 300 plus pounds. He's a giant um, a man physically, and he's also a giant in the, in the world spiritually as well. Well, he uh, worked to put together an orphanage that's going to house 150 orphans in Pakistan, a very remote area. And um, I do have some pictures. If uh, I know EJ is going to try to get those pictures up there. But in essence, um, we are going to help this orphanage put solar panels on top of this building. And uh, if you can picture it, we've got 120 orphans. It's like a U-shaped building, a concrete top. Well, with these solar panels, it's going to help the children to be self-sufficient where they're not relying on paying literally hundreds and maybe thousands of dollars of utility bills because of these solar panels that we're spending about $10,000 to, to accomplish. We've already given it, so don't feel like I'm going to be taking an offering right now. But I want to say this, church, that uh, you've also helped us to put those solar panels on a building here in Pakistan, which will have 120 orphans being raised up in the things of God. Think about that. 
Who knows, the next Billy Graham, the next Reinhard Bonke, the next Peter Dosick might be raised up in that orphanage, and it's because of what we're doing. So, church, once again, thank you. We appreciate you very, very much. Let's give our, let's turn this back over to our pastor, Pastor Peter Dosick. Hallelujah. Thank you, Eric. Praise God. Thank God for men that have come and been raised up and able to take my place. Praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, don't forget that next step is November the 6th, right after service. So if you want to find out more about your purpose, how to build relationships, establish them, how to become a rescuer and get involved in your church, making a difference, then I encourage you to join that. Uh, next step, November the 6th. Hallelujah. All right, let's turn our Bibles today to Matthew 12, 43 through 45. Somebody said, well, how long are you going to talk on the devil? Well, I don't know, long enough. Make us aware of him. Amen. Today I want to entitle this Giving Place to the Devil Step by Step. You know, it doesn't happen immediately. But know that he is subtle. He is at work right now against our lives, our families, through all types of media, television, radio, music, He's involved in every aspect of social media as well as entertainment. We must, as Christians, be awakened to the subtle work of Satan. And you may not think that he is real in the 21st century, he is more active today than he's ever been under the cloak of ignorance, under the cloak of intellect, false science, and evidence. And so he is moving more rapidly, more effectively than he's ever moved in any generation knowing that he has a very short time. We need... Remember the man that had the son that had a deaf and dumb spirit. He brought him, he says, I brought him to thy disciples. Now they couldn't cast him out, but you could if you would. The disciples were known as men that had power over the devil. They were known as men that believed in the devil that he just wasn't a force, a figment of their imagination, but that he was a real being, a personality, something that could control and destroy people's lives. We must grab hold of this revelation that the devil is real and understand his personality and how he operates and what he does. We don't have to be ashamed or think that people would call us stupid because we talked about the devil. I was laying under an x-ray machine, my rear end exposed, 
and uh, they were shooting this needle in me, and uh, all of a sudden, the doctor said, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I got a two-fold job. I pastor a great church, and then I have the privilege to represent the kingdom of God all around the world and preach the gospel. Everybody in that room migrated to my head instead of my rear end. And I talked. And the nurses escorted me out of that room to where I could see the door. The doctor said, I want to tell you, he said, do you believe? that there needs to be a move of God in the earth and in America to bring people to Christ. I said, absolutely. He said, you know what? I'm going to begin to pray for your crusades. And he didn't hand me a check, but it would have been nice. And uh, so, but people want a demonstration of who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Matthew 12, 43. Then the unclean, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking to find rest. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out, and when he is come, he findeth this empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter into it and dwell therein. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so it shall be also unto this wicked generation." Step by step does he disassemble the place that the believer washed in the blood, standing in purity and holiness. Step by step does he disassemble that which repulses and repels the adversary and evil and wickedness that would break forth and retake us captive. It happens step by step, not one big clash. In other words, he's constantly working. Remember, he's not roaring like a lion. He's going about like a roaring lion. Doesn't say he's making a whole bunch of noise. He's trying to find a crack and he doesn't want you to know that he's there. And so it's very subtle. And let's go to 2 Corinthians 10.3. 2 Corinthians 10.3. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Hallelujah. I believe something good is going to happen to us today. Hallelujah. 
2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Understand, we are to be mindful of who we are. But we're also to be more mindful of who we are with God. Because if not, we end up just being people that are trying to use psychology, means, self-helps, and so forth to get results. But that's not what we're about. We are fighting a spiritual warfare, and we are well endowed with the gifts of God to be victorious. And it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. That simply means mighty through the provision of God. He is the provider. Remember that we as Christians are anointed. What does that mean? doesn't just mean that we're smeared with oil. What it means is that we are equipped before we encounter any endeavor that the devil would challenge us with. God has already, already, already equipped us to be victorious in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul makes bold statements. I can do all things. In other words, no matter what I face, I proclaim to you before it starts that I can overcome, subdue, have dominion, overtake, and bring down anything that the adversary throws my way. And that's who we are. Don't ever forget who you are. Yes, you live in a fleshly body, but realize that the fleshly body is not really who you are. Really, who you are is the new creature in Christ, and you are the man that is in transition by the renewing of your mind. And you're not equipped by carnal weapons, but by spiritual ones. And then it says, casting down, casting down imaginations. And every high thing, high thing simply means something that is an elevated structure, something that would be higher, more mighty than you. Now, that doesn't mean that you are going to be defeated by it. What it means that it only has its strength when you don't control your mind and think like the way that God wants you to think. Now, you can see yourself as a grasshopper if you want, or you can see your enemies as bread. I don't know about you, I'd much rather eat lunch in the middle of a battle than I would be lunch in the middle of a battle. Amen? It's how you look at things. And we as Christians need to get a hold of our imagination. Amen? We need to get a hold of it and make sure that it becomes subject to the thoughts that God is giving us 
not to the thoughts that are randomly coming to us by the adversary. Amen. How many of you know the devil is a liar? Well, you would think that every time he said you're not going to make it, you're going to go under. You know, God's not going to provide. Well, God never answered your prayer. Well, you're never going to get healed. You'd think that basic, basic faith in an unlying God would rise up and start rejoicing. Just a thought. So, the adversary uses our imagination. He feeds it. He not only feeds it, he strengthens it. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Somebody say the knowledge of God. This right here is the knowledge of God. It is the knowledge of who God is. It is the knowledge of who you were. It is the knowledge of who you are now. It is a knowledge of what God desires for your life. It is a knowledge of what God will do in your life. And what we have to do, realize that all of these weapons of the adversary that are coming against us are opposing what God has said about you. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, and then in... Uh, continuing verse 5, against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Every thought. The word thought means every device. Every device, every evil scheme that the devil attacks the believer with, he infiltrates their life by their thoughts. And we know that when thoughts are received, they ultimately form words, and words ultimately form action. Amen? Right. Now, we realize that the Bible tells us. Somebody say the Bible. And I'll tell you, it's either it is true or it's not. I believe everything that is in this Bible. I believe the good and the ugly. I believe that I've been saved by the blood of Christ, but I believe that if I turn his, my back on him, then I will be rejected by him. I believe that sin is still powerful enough to send me to an eternity called hell. I do not believe in the blatant, erroneous teachings of once saved, always saved. If, if, if you believe that, then you've got to realize the devil is just an inadequate tempter that cannot separate you from God. Go back and ask Adam and Eve. Sin will separate you from God. Amen. And then we understand that the devil is like he is like a shining light. The Bible says 
that he transforms himself into an angel of light. In other words, he is always going to look and sound just like God. The only way to tell the difference is to judge all things. 1 Corinthians 2.13, he that is spiritual and those that are fleshly don't. But they that are spiritual judge all things. Amen? And so we have a choice to make. We can either let the devil build every wind of doctrine so that we're tossed to and fro, or we can allow God to establish us that we are firm and unshakable. Now, I'm telling you that this is very important. I mean, I have... You, you ought to just read some of the prophecies by the so-called prophets of our nation. I mean, I, I, I read one lady, every day Jesus came and visited her in her room. But I, it couldn't have been Jesus because half of what he said wasn't even in line with the Bible. But I don't want to get on her case. But she said, you know, all of you that are worried about your pets and stuff, don't worry, when you get to heaven, your pets will be there. Beg your pardon. Your pets are not going to heaven. Don't get mad at me. I didn't make the movie. I don't disagree with the movie. I don't disagree with your thoughts. I just agree with God. And he said the spirit of man goes to where it came from and the spirit in Ecclesiastes of the animal goes back to the soil from whence it comes. And why do you get so upset because your puppy is not going to be in heaven? Please, heaven is bigger than Fido. Now, I know, oh, I just love. Well, we love lots of things. I love apple pie, but I'm not sure it's going to be at the Last Supper. Don't you think that's funny? That's how funny it is when you misquote Scripture and want something that God doesn't. We as Christians have to start living the Bible. Scripture, you say, man, you aren't preaching anything deep. You're right. I just want you to get an inch involved. Satan is deceptive. Deception is simply the art of causing someone to accept as truth or something valid that is born out of a lie. That is born out of a lie. So really what it does, it makes a lie even though it's telling or presuming to tell you a truth. Now the Bible says the father of all liars is the devil. You cannot believe what the devil is saying. Now here are some of the things that you and I need to be aware of. A drawing away. A drawing away. One of the big, erroneous, damnable doctrines is 
the doctrine of universalism. You know what that is? That means that everybody is saved. That none will be lost no matter what they do unless they openly deny or reject Christ verbally. Well, universalism is not true. It is a falsehood. Now, we do have universalist churches in our area, and people go to them. But the Bible said, whosoever. In other words, salvation is individualized by the faith of an individual. It is not all-encompassing. Or nobody would ever not go to heaven. Yet the Bible speaks specifically about the definition of what hell is and who will be there. So we have to understand that that type of deception is running rampant in our communities. We cannot believe that. But we as Christians, and we want to, what? We, we want to appease everybody. I want people to like me. They don't, but I said I'd like for people to like me. You know, one time I thought I had arrived and I had been invited to uh, what is one of those social clubs where they bring rich people, lawyers and doctors and all that? What is it? No, no, it's not a country club. What? I guess none of you guys are rich. and <laughs> The Qantas Club or something like that. And I went there and they said, you know, some young guy said, uh, you know, we all get to choose a speaker. And this day, I choose... Pastor Dose, I can only believe ministry. I never caught his name, and I never heard his name after that. But I started preaching on what we ought to be thankful for. And I preach that we ought to be thankful for salvation. We ought to be thankful for deliverance. We ought to be thankful for healing. Well, you could have heard... It, it kind of sounded like this. And uh, anyway, I never did get invited back. I don't even think they gave me a $50 honoraria. I wish they would have, but they didn't. So we have to not be deceived, and we have to tell the truth at all costs. Amen. The Bible tells us, not to be drawn away. In other words, don't be intoxicated with the world. Now, I know the first thing you'd say, hey, that's not me, Pastor. But Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, would you pray for me for one hour? Later, they fell asleep. And Jesus, when they woke up, said, you know what? Your spirit is willing but your flesh is weak. Now, in the Greek connotation, it says this. It means you 
have become so tainted by the world that your faith is of no use. Now, these were disciples. They have just broke bread and drank wine. They've just been told the outcome of the tomb. Yet these men in this hour were dominated by what they had become intoxicated with. You know, you've heard the old saying, get in or get out. I think we ought to get in. I think we ought to just loose the dogs. Let them go. And I think that we need to get radical for Jesus. The second thing that I see the devil doing is stealing the joy of individuals. I see it taking its effect upon people. Now, the reason that people lose their joy is because they get so filled with negativity. Negativity. And when you hear it all the time, it can weigh you down. It can wear you out. Well, you know, what do you think is going to happen? I'm not thinking anything going to happen. I know what's going to happen. The Antichrist is going to come on the scene and the church is going to get raptured. Well, what, what, what state do I don't care what state the world is in. I'm leaving. I don't know what's going to happen except I know I'm going to hear a trumpet. I know I'm going to hear a voice. And I know that I'm going to be transformed whether I'm in the grave or on top of graves. I am going to be caught away in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And I really don't care the condition of the world. I want everybody to be saved. But I'm not interested in the prosperity or the abundance or the weakness or the poverty of this world. This is not my home. My home is heaven. Amen? So we need to keep our focus right. We need to keep our joy intact. You know, we come to church on Sunday and praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Hey, hallelujah. But the Bible tells us that we ought to praise the Lord with all of our might. I mean, don't you think that we should get radical in the presence of those that believe? Well, what about so-and-so? They always criticize. Just keep running by them. Maybe one of these days your belt will catch on their button and you'll both be running. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I remember one Sunday, Dr. Obalu took off, Marge took off, and I took off. 
I thought, you know, they got a head start on me. So I took off and I was running around and I stopped in front of these two ladies. And I said, you know what? This reminds me of the old Pentecostal days when people just gave their all when they had a chance to God. And I took off running again. Later I found out that they were visitors from the Catholic Church. I don't know why I said that. But we as Christians need to start getting our joy back. Our joy back. Amen? And then we get disconnected from others. Disconnected from others. Let's go to Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter, and verse 9. Sometimes people don't think they need friends. That may be why we are in the condition we're in. Friends are not a bad thing. Now, they do require effort. And they do require change so they'll like you. The Bible says you've got to show yourself friendly to have friends. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 2 are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. For, I'm sorry, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Now that will tell you that you cannot override failure by yourself. You have to have friends. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's important that we establish relationships. It's important that you invest in relationships. Is Dr. Obalu here today? That you know that he's dark, so I can't see him back there. Oh, quit laughing. Your friends don't even think like that. You know that? Absolutely not. Anyway, one day I was just going down the mully grubs. And uh, I called Dr. Obalu. I said, Dr. Obalu, can I talk to you as a friend? He said, absolutely, Pastor. So I talked to him, and he just started encouraging me. And he just built me up, built me up, built me up. So like a day later, he calls me back and says, hey, pastor, how you doing? I said, you know what? Your wisdom and your talk helped me. He said, okay, good deal. And what if he hadn't been there? What if your friends had not been there? The Bible says that we are to confess our faults one to another. 
You know, a friend won't air them. A friend will cover them. Because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, your friends should not expect you to be the answer of all things, to have the answer for all things, or to be perfect. Friends should be able to see flaws but bear one another's burdens. Amen? And so we need friends. We need friends for battle. You know, there are a lot of things that the devil will attack you and I with, and there are a lot of places that the devil will cause us to be bound and to be to the point that we need a breakthrough or deliverance but you won't be able to do it yourself. Because one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. In other words, there are times when you need help. Paul said in Philippians 1.9, I know that if you will pray for me, God will supply his spirit, and in all of this, then God will turn my problem, my battle into victory. But it couldn't have been done without the church of Philippi. And folks, we all need friends. I call Bud every once in a while and say, hey Bud, what'd you think of that message? Sometimes he says, well, Pastor, I think you, I think you met well, it's just that you might have missed the target by one county. I said, really? Yeah. So you don't want to call Bud if you don't want the truth. <laughs> so, but Bud talks to me and he gives me counsel. And so you got to realize sometimes the things that I do aren't my fault at all. <laughs> They're Bud's fault. So you got to make sure that you don't stay disconnected. Phyllis says it this way, and a banana that is taken away from the bunch is easily peeled, and that is true. Don't get separated. Here's the thing. See, we as observers, we look at the church, and we want it to be the standard that we ourselves don't live. We want it to be a standard that is impossible for anybody to live. But remember, in the body of Christ, there are some 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100. That means some people are never going to mature or come to full fruition. Jesus said this, you will always have the poor with you. In other words, there's going to be some people that just don't catch prosperity. Does that mean that they're less? No. Does that mean that the 20% is insignificant or useless? No. It means that there are different types of people 
in the body. How would you like to be erected in the body? You don't think that's important? Oh, it's invaluable when you need it. Good again, amen. See, you don't want to think like that, but you know God made that. Now, I don't know why he made it. I think it's just useless, but I need it. So, as believers, we would think that part, we don't want nobody to see you. We don't want you to be active. We don't want this, we don't want that. But it's more needful than lots of other parts. So when we as Christians look at the kingdom of God, why do we always fall upon the weak links? If we, our eyes are falling on the weak links, let me give you this revelation. It's God's call for you to invest in someone else. Yeah, that, that's what we need to do. And so we want to make sure that we have friends and that we don't expect, don't expect anything from friends. But we always show ourselves friendly. Amen. Yep. Hallelujah. People, when we start handling things on the realm of the flesh, we are ultimately going to end up being destroyed. I'd like for Tyler and Jill and Wyatt, you here today, we as Christians suffer the same thing that other people go through but it's how we handle them that helps us display Christ. I have, in my years as a pastor, have to go to the graveyard to break people free from talking to their dead father. I've had to deal with people that lost a daughter and would, that daughter would come to them and they would talk to that daughter. That woman would not let those visitations go. She ended up taking her life. What do we do with things that have boundaries in the kingdom of God where it says Israel was allowed to mourn for 30 days, but after that it became excessive and dangerous to the individual that was mourning. 
Eric, you hit, oh, you already got microphones. You guys, I don't know, when I, when I heard about what happened, I, I was bumfuckled. I was not able to grasp the sorrow and the depth of loss and I didn't even know how to deal with it. And let me say this, a lot of times when people lose loved ones, you don't have to say anything. You just have to be there to listen. But tell your story. Well, it started out in 2017 with her first daughter. We were at her 20-week ultrasound, and we found out the left side of her heart didn't develop. It's called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. So we started that journey. Um, she was born on June 3rd. They planned four surgeries, open heart surgeries for her. It's not something that can ever be fixed, but it can be bridged with surgeries. So eventually when they get older, they either have a heart transplant. So she ended up going to her second surgery, August of 2017, but she ended up having cardiac arrest and passing at two months old. So with her journey, she ended up saving our nephew's life because when my, his sister was 20, what, no, 37 weeks pregnant, they found out in the womb that he also had it. So Maya's journey and our journey, we were a witness to them. We were able to get the same doctors. He's doing well. He's five, doing great. So Maya's journey has saved his life. So five years go by, the same exact months, we we're pregnant with our fourth child. Are you like systematically stirred to intimacy or? <laughs> 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 nope. <laughs> So exactly five years later, we were pregnant with our fourth child, and we found out at his 20-week ultrasound that he also had the same thing, plus he had an intact atrial septum. So they said his left side of his heart wasn't developed, plus he wouldn't have lungs because of the intact atrial septum. So after meeting with the doctors, you know, they're like, we can try this, we can try that in the womb, and we said no. He's God's. You're not touching him. So we decided after praying, we're like, you know what? We're going to give this to God. It's, we're stepping out of faith. We're giving it all to him. Because surgery, they could have experimented, but most kids would have loved in a hospital on machines, and we didn't want that for him. Because we know God's bigger. We know he's able, and we know that he can. So we decided to step out in faith, and we gave it to God, and we fought for 16 weeks. We told some close friends and family. We didn't spread it around like we did with our other daughter because we wanted to keep it tight. We didn't want people to feel sorry. We didn't want, you know, anything of the five years coming back because, you know, it's the exact same months because he was due in, due in June also. We go to our doctor appointments, you know, my doctor's like, well, we can try doing this. Let's set you up for an induction. And I said, no, we gave it to God. This child will be born the day and the hour that God wants him to be. 
So we fought for 16 weeks in faith. We did not give up. Every negative thought, we told the devil, no, he's going to be fine. His child shall live. So he came really quick. We got to the hospital May 21st, and he was born less than 10 minutes when we got there. And little did we know, his miracle was only going to last 11 days, but we got to love on him for 11 days, and he was stolen from us. Because, man, we believed with all of our heart that he was going to be healed. But even when he was in the room, our oldest son, he's going to be seven on Christmas morning, he came up to me and he's like, you know, my baby brother is going to be born on June 1st. I said, oh, you think? He's like, yes, I know. He's going to be born June 1st. Well, little did we know, he was born May 21st, June 1st in the mornings when he went home to be with Jesus in our arms. So that date meant something. How these are the things that Satan would use to separate people from the body of Christ, from their church, from their loved ones. People get divorced because it is so overwhelming. Now, here are two people that are believers. Their mother and father had been in our church, seemed like, I think they came with the floor. And... uh, Their family has been here at the church. But here you are all believing. And it looks like God failed you. But lots of people don't see that. They would start pointing a finger. Why didn't God do this? Why didn't God do that? Hatred. Bitterness resentment, blame. And so ultimately it would go, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, God took my mother. I said, where'd you take her? Well, well, uh, I don't know, but she's gone. Well, but you didn't get that attitude. You stayed that, you know what? God gave you and out of that, you said for 11 days, we got to love on him. He came home eating. He came home breathing on his own with lungs that he wasn't supposed to have. I mean, the doctors were trying to push us out the door like, he's going to be fine. We're fine. So when stuff like this happens, I, I know that you must believe that it's not just a result of faith that pleases God, but that it's the act of faith that pleases God despite any adverse outcome. And so you could have looked at that and you could have said, why did God do this? Why did God do that? Why did God? I know that Nikki was in touch with you. She'd call me and she'd say stuff and I mean, I would just, yeah. I didn't hold together very good just because of knowing that you guys were fighting a fight. We could pray, which every believer should be praying for situations like this. This is why relationships are so important. And, but when it happened, you didn't get angry. 
You didn't stay in a stage of mourning. You knew where that child was. And for some reason that is beyond our own, that God had a plan. And that plan, whether in 11 days or whatever, came to pass. And you know that that child is with God. Yes, he is. And it amazes me that we sometimes open the door to the devil. And he uses death, tragedies, and things of that nature to break us or to divide us or to split us away from our churches, and our family of faith. And he does that because people, they know where their loved ones went, but they mourn for them when it's not supposed to be mourning, it's supposed to be rejoicing. You know, and yes, you lost two children, but you know where they are. Yes. Kind of like saying, we send them to mama's house. and <laughs> They're, they're going to be okay. And... uh so it is the attitude when tragedy and failure happens in our life that we handle it the way that the Scripture tells us that the end will be. You know, one day, those two boys are going to be coming back. Girl, Maya. Uh, Maya, a girl. They're going to come back at Jesus' side. And they're going to be caught up, and somewhere out of the corner of your eye, you're going to catch the glimpse. There will be no distance of who they are. There will be no distance. I, I can't imagine what's going to take place on that trip up of the you reuniting and loved ones and so forth. But you know that they're, they're coming back with him. And so when you look up, they're going to be there. Yes, they are. And so these people went through like a loss and a failure that my, I, I don't know. I, I hope that my faith would be that strong. I hope that I will endure. But I don't know because I've never fought that battle. So when these failures happen, when life and death don't always work out together, I'm telling you, the devil will come in and he will set a trap that you'll get in thinking that death is the end, failure is the end, when it's not. You guys have hope beyond life. Now, I know this is difficult for you today, but I am so grateful that you came and shared this. I am so grateful. I know you're a man of many words. Yep. And uh, <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Give them a round of applause, will you? Remember, the devil comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And if we don't recognize that he is behind this, we will blame God. Let's not fall 
for the reality of who is the author of it. And there are other people through this congregation that have suffered like tragedies. But I encourage you to be friends. Build bridges that they can cross when they need a drink of fresh cool water. Where they need somebody just to lift them up. Where they need somebody just to say it's going to be okay. So build those friendships. Let's protect ourselves from the subtleness and the deceptive workings of Satan. It seems so normal. It's not normal at all. It is demonic, seeking to destroy people. Let's stand to our feet. Father, in the name of Jesus, we as a family of faith, though unaware of those that have went through this and those that are working through it right now, God, we lift those people up. We ask God that you would comfort them, you would strengthen their faith, that God encouragement would come from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and that God, that we that go through these things, Father, would be more equipped not to be shut off from others, but to reach out and help others. God, let us use tragedies and failures. Let them use us that we might be ministers of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, heal the brokenhearted. Heal those that have went through it and maybe not fully recovered. And I don't know how someone would fully recover. But I do know that there is life in Christ after failure and tragedy I know that you always have a way prepared and a place prepared for those that go through such battles now God I ask you to bless every individual here let these simple things God, just stir that we become aware that there is a devil. God, make us wide-eyed. Let us be awake. And God, we thank you for the blood of Christ, for the comfort of Christ, the love of Christ, and the brotherhood that are gathered around us in Christ. And God, we ask you to bless them. Bless every home and every business. We ask it in Jesus' name. 
amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. See you Wednesday evening.